This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress. Entries are now open for the 2021 English Select Yearling Sales Series. The series will again comprise five sales. Classic, Premier, Easter, Gold and the Hunter Thoroughbred Breeders Association May Yearling Sale to be held at Riverside in Sydney and Oaklands Junction in Melbourne. Each of the three primary sales, Classic, Premier and Easter, will retain their regular places on the sales calendar. Following its success this year, the Scone sales will be moved permanently to Riverside on May 2nd and May 3rd and will be rebranded the HTBA Yearling Sale. The Gull Sale in Melbourne will be held on May 16th. To discuss the placement of your yearlings, contact a member of the English Bloodstock team. Few non-metropolitan stables have had a better run in recent months than the Canberra-based operation of Keith Dryden, who's now entering his fifth decade as a professional trainer. He looks back on a career which has brought him 1,500 winners, several stakes races and last year's Kosciuszko with Handle the Truth. And that talented five-year-old is getting ready for another crack at the $1.3 million race on the 17th of October. There's little doubt Keith should have won a Group 1, and I'll let him tell you about the one that got away when we talk to him shortly on the podcast. Keith Dryden started his working life as a shearer. Later, he owned a ready-mix concrete truck, which he operated for eight years, all the time dreaming of an involvement with racehorses. And a veteran Canberra trainer called Jack Gordon, helped him to achieve that dream. Perhaps the greatest testimony to Keith's unshakable integrity is his 30-year association with Louis Mahika's well-known Laurel Oak Bloodstock Company. No doubt Keith is sitting at his desk in his thoroughbred park office with his feet planted firmly on a double-bar radiator as he joins me on the podcast. Great to talk, Keith. You in the office with the feet on the radiator? Uh, no, not at the moment, John. I'm outside the stables in the sun. It's a beautiful day. And, uh, all the work's completed. I've just done our track work and having a cup of coffee. They wouldn't do too much on a Sunday, Keith. Oh, we swim a few and, uh, you know, there's plenty always to do, a bit of maintenance and that. So, uh, you know, it's like any other day. You just turn up and get it done and... Uh, mm-hmm. Look forward to the. I generally try to have Sunday afternoons off and uh, mm. watch the football. Keith, it's not good for them to leave them standing in the box all day Sunday. Uh, the old uh, uh, lactic acid is flowing freely, and you've got to get them out, of it, even if they only have a walk. Yeah, most certainly, John. I, I swim a lot, and my horses get uh, thirty-minute walk twice a day on Sundays. Mm. Well, first up. Congratulations on a red-letter day at Wagga last Thursday. Four runners, three winners and a second. You won with Loafing, Ballon and Eve's Miss on a showcase day when the prize money was higher than usual. Yeah, but it was a good day out for us. Uh, We were very pleased with the results and uh, a lot of happy owners. You've had several trebles in your training career. Uh, You tell me there was one very good day at Canberra on Melbourne Cup Day 1995 when you won four races. Yep, that's correct, yeah. 
And way back, very early in your career, a little place called Bungador where they no longer race, you had six runners, five of them won, and the other one should have. Yeah, it ran second. It led to the turn, then ran off up the straight. <laughs> and that was really early days, Keith, was it? Yeah, that's when I really got established. I, my first reasonable horse was a horse called Mr. Reflection. Mm-hmm. And after I got him, I started to get a few horses in the stables. You know, success doesn't come instantly to a lot of people. And uh, I, I get fascinated when I look at trainers and they have a winner in their first month of training or something like that. Mm. Uh, I think it took me 14 months to train my first winner. Mm. And, uh, and then Mr. Reflection came along and I won two or three in a row and it kind of got my name out there. Yeah. So I picked up a few horses then and Neil Osmond from Maine Lodge Stud was a great supporter of mine mm-hmm. and uh, Neil gave me uh, quite a few horses to train for him and that and got mm-hmm. me underway and that's when that all occurred. Mm. You told me once that you could pick the temperature at the Canberra Racecourse early in the morning by the appearance of a certain jockey who's now retired when he came back on one of your horses after track work. Yeah, some on some occasions he'd come back with uh, ice on his eyebrows. So, <laughs> but believe it or not, uh, yeah. it was um, you know one morning here it was snowing, mm. and uh, I said, "Oh, I think we might just put him on the walker today." He said, "No, I've come all the way and we'll work a couple." Mm. Uh, after two, he said, "I think we'll put him on the walker." <laughs> <laughs> and the jockey we're talking about is Kevin Sweeney, who uh, retired from race riding a while back, but I'm delighted to learn he's working for the Canberra Club and it's it's good to see him still in the industry. Yes, Kevin works at uh, the Gap as the safety officer and track controller. Mm. Uh, Kev's a great bloke and uh, it's been a great job for him. He loves it and uh, gives you, gets out of bed about three every morning and mm. knocks off at nine, so it's a great job for him. You've had a wonderful little winning run of late, which helps uh, to make up for the lean times that all trainers have. You're a philosophical sort of bloke, Keith. You know there's nothing you can do about the down times. You've got to ride them out. Yeah, most certainly, John. Uh, every trainer has a bad trot, you know, like uh, and even Chris Wallen would probably, you know, there'd be some days he'd have four or five winners and that might go on for several weeks and then suddenly he's back to one or two winners so mm. and that's probably a lean trot for him and the smaller trainers like ourselves you know we i can remember a time i went three months without a winner mm. and uh you know you, you should i change this should i change that am i doing this wrong yeah. but i i found it's it's best just to keep doing what you were doing if you were having success and uh, uh lady luck will change it for you someday Keith, I remember something Brian Mayfield-Smith told me once many years ago. He said when the, you know, the lean time set in, some trainers panic, as you just said. They want to change their work, change their feed, change this, change that. Mayfield-Smith said that is absolutely fatal. Uh, Your methods have worked before and they'll work again. It simply means that the horses aren't good enough. Yeah, I, I think that's 100% right, John. I, I apply, apply in my business the old rule, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm. 
All of the disappointments and all of the frustrations paled into insignificance in 68 and a half seconds last October when Handle the Truth won the Kosciuszko with Nash Rewiller in the saddle. He turned for home in fourth spot, he dashed clear at the 200 metres and that's where Keith Dryden started cheering. Were you in the stand or glued to a monitor? No, I was about uh, in the crowd, about uh, seven or eight back deep mm-hmm. and couldn't, could hardly see a thing. And a very kind lady in front of me, I don't know who she was, mm-hmm. she said, that's your horse, quickly get in front of me. Did she gave me his position and I saw about the last 100 metres. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, and uh, then she hugged me and I hugged her. And I said, I don't know who you are, but thanks very much. (laughs) Good on you, mate. You know, you had plenty of help on the day with the cheering because he had 27 owners and 40 slot holders who were also offering encouragement. And I think the slot holders were members of the Shell Harbour TAB Punters Club. Yep, that's correct. Um, Very uh, wonderful group of people. So uh, I think they had a great ride. You're following exactly the same path you followed last year with Handle the Truth. Now, you put him out for a couple of weeks after he ran second in the winter dash at Randwick back in June. Now, you've got two trials earmarked and then a lead-up run at Randwick. Yep, that's correct. He'll have a trial at Canberra on next Friday, a fortnight later another trial and uh, then a lead-up race for him uh, from there. Originally, I was hoping to go uh, around the 26th or something like that, but mm. it'll be the third now, I think, and uh, right. yeah. uh, in a Group 2 race, so he'll probably have his lead-up race in that. And then a fortnight to the Kosciuszko. Yep, that's correct. Now, it wouldn't have done your confidence any harm when Nash Rewilla's uh, agent confirmed with you weeks ago that Nash wanted to ride him again this year. Yeah, we're extremely pleased with that. I I'd rang Liam Pryor just to have you on to him about what Nash's intentions would be because he had been riding Snitch, who was the current favourite for the race. And uh, he said, look, he, himself and Nash had had a good talk about it and said that um, the owners of the horse had been good to Nash and Nash did like the horse and he decided to stick with him if he could get the ride. Good. Now, the horse is pretty professional nowadays, Keith, in his races and track work, but that wasn't always the case. Early in his career, he had a tendency to veer to the outside fence without warning in his track work. Usually horses will do that opposite a gate or a gap where they enter and exit the track every day, but not this bloke. He'd do it anywhere, anytime. Yeah, he was pretty unruly in his first race start. You're testing my memory now, John, but I think Cathy O'Hara might have rode him. Cathy mm. uh, or uh, Matty Carl, I'm not sure which one first up, and he, he ran around a fair bit in that race too. So, uh, But uh, finally we got on top of him, and uh, he uh, goes pretty straight now. He was bred by Laurel Oak, according to a line breeding theory that Louis Mahaika had great faith in. Uh, Keith, I believe he was going to be offered at the yearling sale. 
But Louis changed his mind because he had a very pronounced parrot mouth. It's never stopped him galloping, has it? No, uh, most certainly. He, uh, and that's, that's what Louis decided. He just said he mightn't bring the money what he think he's worth. Mm. And uh, so he said, look, take him, break him in and uh, see what you think. You've looked after him. He's a five-year-old. He's had only 21 starts, eight wins, three seconds, one-third, well over 1.1 million. Nash has won two races on him. Nick Hayward's won two on him. Jay Ford won a race on the handle the truth, and so did Blake McDougall and Matthew Carl. Now, he was a length and a quarter behind Viridine Keith in that winter dash, which was his last run before you eased him up. And Viridine's gone to Melbourne to win two very good races. So that's a, a good form line. Yeah, he's been racing in, uh, in his last four or five starts in really good company. Uh, I think he ran the start before that. From memory, I think he might have been behind Classic Legend. Mm-hmm. and got beaten about four and a half, you know. Uh, so, yeah, he's been racing in good company and Viridine's kind of picked the mark for us to say, look, we can compete at that level. Your bloke has already run in five stakes races and he's performed well every time without winning. You've just got to find the right stakes race. Yeah, that's that, that's right, John, but with a bit of luck that'll come one day. So uh, uh, my main mission in ours is to concentrate on what I've got to do for uh, October 17th and uh, and then we'll worry about uh, other races somewhere else and uh, just push on from there. Mm. Keith, I've just had a quick peek at his uh, form card uh, as we've been talking here. His first start in a race was in uh, February of 2018 at Wagga. It was a two-year-old maiden. He won by three and a half lengths and Matthew Carl was his jockey. Right. Well, that, that confirms it then. I, I just thought Cathy O'Hara had ridden him somewhere, but uh, now, now I remember that that was another horse that I had that was a bit wayward too, so yeah. I, I remember it now. Yeah. That line breeding theory we were talking about, uh, which was the brainchild of Louis Mahika, uh, revolves around a, a top-class English mare called Audrey Joan. Her name appears on both sides of his pedigree. Your bloke's won $1.1 million, so you can't argue with Louis' theory. No, most certainly. Look, uh, Louis and I have worked together and uh, I generally go down and inspect the horses after Louis does the paperwork and checks them out. And uh, sometime last year or the year before, we'd bought 27 horses together mm-hmm. or raced, bred on that theory, and... Uh, we, we'd had 25 winners mm. from those 27. So, uh, and uh, one had broken down when it went in the wind and never raced. We never started it. And the other one won a race after I sold it to Queensland. Mm. Louis Mahika takes full credit for the naming of Handle the Truth. And he tells me it comes from that famous courtroom scene in a movie called A Few Good Men when Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise were having a heated argument and Jack says to Tom, you can't handle the truth, and it stuck in Louis's mind. Yeah, uh, that, that was how it was all done. And, uh, originally when I first uh, heard the name, I thought, oh, <laughs> you know, like, uh, uh, but as old Jack Gordon said to me, he said, 
some they mightn't sound too good, but the more they win, the better they sound then. So it uh, <laughs> sounds a really good name to me now. How did a young Keith Dryden get to work in a shearing shed at Dubbo? I, I started off, I left school early, John. I left school when I was uh, uh, 15 and uh, I was a bit unruly at that stage. Uh, not, I was controllable, but... Uh, uh, just was never any good at school. <laughs> Unruly but was, controllable. <laughs> yeah, I was never, never much good rap. at school. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I was more interested in football and sports and uh, mm. and I went to live with my uncle and auntie at that stage who had a property at Dubbo. So uh, mm. I moved down there and lived with them and uh, my cousin was a wool presser for mm. Grascos. So uh, I actually didn't start as a shearer. I started as a rouse about picking up. Yeah, and I worked for Grasscos for uh, about eighteen months doing mm. that. So that's how I got the start there. Mm, but you learned how to shear them. Yeah, well, I, I used to finish off. I, I was never much of a shearer, but uh, mm. I, I couldn't get the numbers. But uh, no. uh, you, you know, uh, I, I was a young fella, and I'd put my age up to get the job. Yeah, put my age up to sixteen to get the job, and uh, in those days. I think the basic wage was about 14 pounds a week mm. and I was earning 25 <laughs> and, uh, you know, so we're earning huge money and when I come back to Canberra originally, I dropped back from 25 pounds a week to well, 7 pounds a week. Didn't know what hit the you. first job I got. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I certainly didn't. It was, it, was, uh, it uh, was a hit to the pocket. But uh, anyway, uh, we just pushed ahead and mm. I just, um, you know, Tried my best and worked at everything I got. And, well, you must have uh, been must have been putting a bit of money away because you were able to scrape up enough to buy a ready mixed concrete truck, and you contracted that truck for about eight years. It was a good start. Yeah, most certainly it was. But in those days, the trucks weren't as dear as what they are now. So mm. I got a good start, and uh, I can really tell you when I I bought the concrete truck, I was underwater and had to store it out of my house. And it was just out of the top of the water sucking air in. Oh. I, <laughs> I'd, I'd sunk everything I had into it. <laughs> I'd say. Jack Gordon was the, the man, the veteran trainer, who taught you all the fundamentals. You'd go to his stables before and after work. Yeah, that's correct. Like, you know, on weekends I'd work there, used to drive the truck to the races and, and all that. And I, I, just, I just stood around and watched and listen to what he, we'd sit in the grandstand at the races and talk and, uh, and listen to what he had to say. And he told me a few things like, son, you can't go before the horse. He'll tell you when he's ready, you know. And mm. we'd look at horses and I'd say, what do you think can win this, Jack? And not one of his. He'd say, that horse there looks really well. Mm. And nine times out of ten, they'd run a terrific race. Mm. So he was very knowledgeable. And uh, at that stage... I asked him on the track one day, how many horses are here, Jack? He said about 240 mm. with all the different trainers. Yeah. And I think Jack knew every name of every horse when a horse walked past him. Mm. Even trained by somebody else, he could say, that's so-and-so. Mm. The powers of observation. Most certainly. Well, it pays a lot of time just to sit back and watch and you'll learn a lot. Well, eventually you got your trainer's licence and you got your first horse, it was a mare called Monvari. Where did she come from? Well, she actually wasn't my first horse. I, I bought her 
a second-hand horse of Peter Staunton mm. called Kentucky Kingdom. Mm. And it took me 12 months, and after I realised Kentucky, I was no good or Kentucky Kingdom was no good. I hadn't worked it out at that stage <laughs> at this training caper. So uh, then uh, Neil Osmond uh, gave me Monvari to train leased it to me, and uh, that's when I got my kick along, the first winner. Yeah, she gave you a real kick start. You won four races with Monvari, and you tell one great little story about a veteran jockey who rode her in her very first win, and he was most anxious to know if your gratitude would be expressed in cash. Yeah, that, that's right. He, um, he said to me when he come back to the stall, there'll be something there for me, won't there? I said, yeah, mate, I'll look after you. Um, and, and thinking, like, looking after it'd be about a $20 sling from me. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, on the Monday, I walked out of the stables and I said, oh, I've got something for you down there, mate, I'll give it to you after track work, eh? He said, oh, don't worry about that. Uh, he said, why don't you look after this for me? And he handed me his electricity bill. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to pay his electricity bill, which cost me a bit more than the twenty I was thinking. Yeah, a lot more, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah that's all right. Mm. In the mid nineteen eighties, a man called Arthur Menzies told you at the races one day that he intended to send you a horse. Now you took his statement with a grain of salt until some days later. A big, strong chestnut gelding by Tumble Down Wind walked into your stables. His name was Tumble On. He won 18 races, 11 placings, and he put you on the map. Yeah, he most certainly did. I, I was at Gundagai races with my brother-in-law at the time, and Arthur came up to me and he said, Keith, I've been meaning to give you a horse to train. He said, I've got a... Uh, gelding out there with a withered hip. Uh, he said, you can take him. And he said, if he's no good, I'll give you something else. Mm. He walked away and I said, uh, Phil, that's right, I've got the crow again. And uh, he turned out to be tumble on. Mm. Well, he won the listed Hallmark Stakes twice. He won the listed Royal Palmer Stakes. He won a Villiers with Malcolm Johnston on board. He won a country cup at Randwick with Dale Spriggs and $298,000, Keith, and we're talking 35 years ago. Yeah, he was uh, my favourite horse. Uh, my stables are actually named after him, Tumalong Lodge. Mm. Keith, what was your first connection with Louis Mahika, the founder and CEO of Laurel Oak Thoroughbreds? Uh, well, it was many, many years ago. I just can't exactly remember when, but uh, I got introduced to Louis somewhere and he, he had a horse being trained down the coast and uh, he uh, uh, said to me, look, well, would you mind having a crack at it? And I won a couple of races with it and mm. we went on from there and uh, I'd been given some advice from a father about people, you know, that are, uh, have a lot of horses in the industry and, that stage, Louis didn't, but he said, they're the people, to if you can be involved with them. He said, son, always remember, he said, he said, get yourself a horse that can sprint and an owner that will stay. Well, <laughs> Louis most definitely uh, filled that uh, for me. He has. He has stayed for more than three decades, and the association is as strong as ever. Keith, I'll get you to stand by for a moment whilst we clear a commitment 
on the podcast back with you after this. New South Wales TAB punters, here is your chance to share in $1.3 million in prize money when the Kosciuszko is run at Royal Randwick on October the 17th. You could share in the ownership of one of the 14 runners in the world's richest race for country-trained horses. You're in the running if you purchase a $5 ticket via the Tab app or at your local TAB outlet or enter as many times as you like by purchasing multiple tickets. Ticket sales close on September the 7th and 14 winners will be drawn on September the 9th. If your name or the name of your syndicate is drawn, you'll then have the opportunity to select a horse to race in your entry. Then your negotiating skills will be put to the test as you endeavour to reach agreement with the owners regarding a prize money split. Bell Flyer won it in 2018, Handle the Truth won it last year. You could share in the ownership of the 2020 Kosciuszko winner when the big race is run at Randwick on October the 17th. Tickets are available right now via your Tab app or at your local TAB outlet. Special guest is Keith Dryden. I love the story you tell about the Magic Millions night sale you attended with Louis Mahika, and you were both taken by a cult who was by the not-so-well-known sire Rhythm out of a Marskay mare called Marshaw. You liked him. You settled on $60,000 as your maximum bank. Louis was away looking at another horse when he came into the ring and you committed the unforgivable. Certainly did. Um, I, in the excitement of the moment, I went to 80000 <laughs> Goodness me. And we only had sixty. Yeah. So uh, Louis came up to me and he said, oh, we didn't get him, eh? Because he'd heard on the microphone down at the stables he'd sold for 80000 mm. I said, yeah, we sure did. And... Uh, I said, I don't know what we're going to do. I said, I think we've got ahead for a personal loan on Monday morning. <laughs> well, you kept a share. One of Louis' smaller syndicates came in and there were several other individual owners. And uh, you turned out to be a pretty good judge, Keith, because Into the Night, as he was named, had 29 starts for nine wins, seven placings, $804,000. He won a Group 2 QTC Cup, a listed Starlight Stakes, the listed Hilton International at Flemington twice. He ran second in a Group 2, second in two Group 3s, and we'll look at his Group 1 record in a moment. How do you describe Into the Night as an athlete and a racehorse? Yeah, really um, nice horse. He, w- he wasn't over big, but he was very strong. Mm-hmm. And uh, beautiful moving horse. I, I can uh, remember when I, when I looked at him, I just kept going back to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I looked at him about three or four times and and Louis said to me, he's by rhythm. He said, they're not very popular. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, I just like the horse. And Louis said, well, I like him too. So uh, mm-hmm. we decided, well, you know, we had a bank of 60000 so so... Uh, we, we decided we'd go all out for him. So, uh, uh, and then when I got him moving along and broken in, uh, he uh, uh, just showed me from day one, the first day I put him down, like, and let him mm. slip up a bit. I, 
I put him down with a horse of Peter Staunton's that had won in Sydney mm. uh, on the Wednesday of May. Mm. Peter had said to me, you've got anything to go up with? I said, look, I've got a young one. Um, I said, he's a late two-year-old. He'll just drop off if you're too good for us and we won't knock him around. Mm. Anyway, he uh, he beat Peter's horse by about three and a half lengths and run 34-something first gallop. <laughs> so Goodness me. He, he, could, he could certainly gallop. Yeah. Well, he finished up running in three Group 1s. He ran fourth in a new market with Brett Preble up behind Bill Du Jour. Wasn't too far away either. Third in a Stradbroke to Private Steer, beaten two lengths. Scott Seymour rode him that day. And then you ran second, beaten only a neck with Damien Oliver up in the Group 1 Salinger at Flemington. Scott Seymour rode the winner. Ironically, uh, ancient song. And you maintain, Keith, that's the one that got away. Yeah, it's one that probably did get away from us at uh, just a, uh, um, you know, bad luck at the start. We, horses were going left to go to the rail and right to go to the outside. He got wedged in the middle. The horses on the outside, him, uh, he was going to go to the outside and the horse on the outside wanted to come to the inside, mm. chopped him off and put him out the back door and he got back to last, second last or last in the race. Mm. And he got beaten, uh, I think, about a head mm. in the Salinger. And, uh, and the only bloke smiling was Louie because uh, Louie won the horse that won the race. He owned it as well, ancient song. Oh, I see, yep. Yeah, so he quinelled the race, Louie did. Mm. So... And you yes. were bitterly disappointed. Oh well, yeah, I was disappointed, especially, especially after you know, like uh, as Damien came back and he's a great rider and he's a good fella and he he just came back and said to me, mate, this is you know a lot of heart, this horse, real good horse, just mm. real unlucky on the day. Yeah, yep. Good of him to admit it because not all would. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's right. You know, he's uh, but they're professional bikes, so. Uh, Anyway, we, we one that got away, John, but you just step forward and go look to I never worry about that. I just look for the next one now. Into the Night was put down only last year when he found it at a nearby property, but he'd lived the good life, Keith, for many years after retirement. Yes, his strapper took him and uh, uh, he's got lives on a property just outside of Canberra. So uh, he got a lot of arthritis in his joints and everything, so uh, he was struggling to get up and that. So we did the inane thing, and uh, unfortunately, and put him to sleep. Relatives of good horses don't always emulate the deeds of their older siblings, but you got one who went very close. Tumble on's full brother, roll on by, who wasn't as good as his brother but he did a terrific job to win 20 races, most of them at Canberra. Yeah, most certainly. He won all those races, and I think he he won one race in Sydney out of 20. And I don't think he won much anywhere else much, I don't think, from them. Mm. I think they were nearly all at Canberra. Yes, I love the Canberra track. It's well documented um, that Lester Piggott rode him one day. Um, he won a quality sprint on the horse, as a matter of fact, at Canberra, and it was Lester's farewell tour in 1985. He he told you something after the race that you've never forgotten. Yeah, well, he, he just said to me, look, uh, 
he said, good, good, good. he never spoke very much, Lester, he, even when you were trying to tell him what to do. And I was fascinated in his writing style. When you have a look at it, he'll, he'll, he kind of turned and looked back where he was going to hit them. Mm. And uh, he'd come back and he'd won the race. And he, he, I, I said to him, well, what do you think, uh, Lester? And he said, getting a bit tired on the pins, this old horse. Did he? That, that was it. And he said, look after his legs, son. So, yeah, like, yeah. you know, but he had a lot of racing, that horse. Yeah. You know, nothing like they do today, but I don't know how many starts he'd had, John. You probably could tell me, but, uh, mm. he, you know, he won 20, so he probably had 40 starts, I'm not sure. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's a tremendous old horse. And Lester felt something there, obviously. Yeah, he most certainly did, and you know, but he he, he was a fascinating horseman. He actually rode Monvari for me right. uh, too as well the year before, I think, and uh, run second on her, got beaten the nose. Mm. Uh, and, you know, he just had the, an un, un, unbelievable skill to be able to put a horse where it was. But, uh, yeah, you know, like he's um, – he was one of the great horsemen. Just thought of a lovely grey mare you trained around 2007-2008 by Mr C out of a God's Walk mare, which explains the grey. Her name was Cool Room Candidate, and she had a terrific record. 37 starts, 9 wins, 14 placings, $447,000. She won a Group 2 Sapphire Stakes at Randwick. I think Zach Purton rode her that day. And she won a Group 3 Research Stakes at Rose Hill with Zach Purton. And you took her to Queensland once, Keith. She ran second in the Silk Stocking on the Gold Coast. Yep, uh, she was a great mare. Some... Uh Local Canberra guys owned her, and uh, uh, she was cantankerous, and uh, she'd come home more often than not without the jockey or, or the jockey leading her home. But uh, uh, she could certainly gallop, and uh, as a matter of fact, her one of her foals won yesterday in Sydney, mm. won the last race, prime candidate. Very speedy, very fast. He led easily, didn't he? Yeah, well, I didn't see the race actually yesterday. John mm. was in the office working, but uh, um, I had a look this morning for the results. So he he's one of her files. So, yeah, he ran them off their feet. Yeah, Pete, Peter and Cuddly and the boys and that, uh, mm. they, they race him too. And he's trained by Bjorn mm. Baker at the moment. And, uh, yeah, you know, they're, they're great blokes and they uh, uh, deserve everything they can get out of these horses because they're great owners to train for. They they just leave it to you and like to turn up and have a drink after races and celebrate, so mm. they're great race. You've had a string of winners lately, horses like Shenandoah, Willful Soul, Loafing, Wichita Warrior, Gunga Din, Fangella, Shores of Avalon, Dream Runner. Where's Gunga Din? Gunga Din's in the paddock. He doesn't like the wet tracks, so him and Wichita Warrior and uh, Shores of Avalon I've just put out for three weeks to let the tracks dry out a little bit. Mm. He's won five races. He won a three-year-old and upwards at Rose Hill late last year by a big space. He won the Narandra Cup recently by a big space. He looks an improver, Keith, doesn't he, Gungadin? Yeah, I, I think he's one of those horses that will be competitive every time you get him up over a bit of ground. Mm. Uh, and what I really like about him, he might be a champion. He tries hard. 
Fangella's had only two runs for a maiden win at Maruya in the Laurel Oak Colours and looks to have a bit of ability. Yeah, he just might be something a little bit above average. Uh, mm. He's uh, Shores of Avalon and he's a full brother to Shores of Avalon. Mm. Uh, but he showed me more than what she did as a young horse and uh, he's one of all his breeding mating. So uh, mm. hopefully he'll, he'll go along a long way, but I, I've got a bit of a, an opinion on that, mate. Mm. Dream Runners won three from four, two at Canberra and one at Kembla. Yep, I trained him for uh, Mr Hartnell, who was, uh, I think, was the chairman of the New South Wales Racing Board at some stage. Um, he see, he got under my guard first up, um, galloped him on the track here with uh, uh, an old stayer that I had, and the old stayer beat him about eight lengths. And uh, a truck worker come come back to me and said, I don't think we're going much good here, boss. <laughs> <laughs> he, he said, I, I think this is one that uh, we won't have long. Yeah. So I sent him to Canberra for uh, – Brody Loy rode him in a trial, mm. said, look, he, he didn't feel too bad and he didn't mm. do much in the trial. And mm. Brody said, I'd give him a couple more trials and I thought about it and I said, oh, I'll give him a race that will teach him more than what a trial will and Mm. Anyway, up he gets it about 40 to 1, first up. Yeah. He's, a, second, he's a racehorse. Yeah, and then second mm. up, bang again he goes. So mm. uh, every run were great runs. He had a, a, a bad run in Sydney, uh, but it was a very heavy track that day. Mm. So uh, and then I took him to Kembla and Tommy rode him, Tommy Berry rode him over the mile. And uh, he said to me, look, he's a nice horse, still got a bit to go, yeah. uh, doesn't know a lot yet, but when he improves, he said, I think he could be up to Saturday class, Sydney. You work between 25 and 30 horses most of the year, and I'll be surprised if 25% of them aren't Laurel Lake horses. Yeah, you're probably right. I, you know, like I've always got, uh, for Laurel Lake, I've always got... Uh, probably four or five in the stable and a Red Bank North, Jamie Middleton, where I spell my horses, he generally has four or five with me as well at the same time. So mm. ah, from their stable, is probably two clients. Mm. Yeah, great supporters, uh, James and Fiona Middleton, haven't they, for a long time? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, Keith, the excitement of the Kosciuszko win must have been a bit hard on the nerves last October. Do you think you can handle it again? Uh, well, uh, I'm the best, John. I, I, I don't let the pressure get to me too much. I, uh, I, I'm a great believer that everybody's got to have a turn at these races, at winning races. Uh, um, you know, and as I've always said, people say I'm funny, but I wish the other uh, opponents in the race, I always wish them the best of luck because I've won it. I've had a great thrill. I'd mm. love to win it again. But... I understand that everybody gets a turn, and uh, it's um, and that way that's what makes racing so strong, mm. um, you know. And it's a great concept. Uh, you, you know, we stayed at Coogee after the races. I stayed there that night, mm. and uh, we uh, it's quite a story that one too because everybody says, "Oh, you must have went out and had a big night." Myself and Trish, I said, "Well." why don't we go and have a nice seafood meal somewhere mm. and uh, all that. And we, we were in a 
taxi and I said, do you know a nice seafood restaurant? Because we didn't go out with Louis and the, the group. They were going out next day. Yeah. And he said, oh, my friend's got a beauty, mate. Like, And I said, oh, will you take us there? Mm. When we got in there, the, the only thing this fella sold was pizza and he did have a seafood pizza on the menu. <laughs> so so we had a pizza on uh, uh, the uh, night of the Cosiosco uh, and I went back and watched the rugby on TV. Yeah. It's it's called but, nervous exhaustion. Yeah, oh, well, I was happy enough to get get home early. Oh, of course. Well, they owe you a Group One, Keith. It might be handle the truth or another of your current team. Who knows? Or well, you one... never know, John. Yeah, and mate, you don't know what's going to walk through the gate tomorrow either. But I hope it happens. It would be a fitting finale to a great career, Keith Dryden. Yeah, thanks very much, John. I really appreciate it. Great to have you on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress.